0: Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today as we continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel, Saul drops all pretense and tries to get help from those close to him to kill David. We'll pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 1. The title of the message is, An Unstable Heart.
1: 1 Samuel chapter 19. As we are here in 1 Samuel chapter 19, things have escalated quickly between Saul and David. Saul has progressed from jealousy to fear to premeditated murder. But all along, while that's happening, David is unaware. He doesn't know that Saul wants to kill him. He thinks it's the demon or he thinks it's these circumstances that he's in. And so David continues to serve Saul with the best of intentions, hoping to be a blessing to his troubled king. Well, chapter 19, all that's going to change, because despite an oath before God to do David no harm that Saul makes in this chapter, he will cross the line from secretly plotting David's death to ordering his execution, and David will flee. So chapter 19, beginning in verse 1, we're going to take a look at Saul's unstable heart. Actually, we'll begin in verse 30 of chapter 18. It mentions at the end of verse 29 that Saul became David's enemy continually. But then verse 30 says, Then the princes of the Philistines went forth, and it came to pass that after that went forth, that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was much set by. And so Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all of his servants that they should kill David. David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father seeks to kill you. Now, therefore, I pray you, take heed to yourself until the morning and abide in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will commune with my father about you. And what I see, that's what I will tell you. So we see here that in verse 30 of chapter 18, that David's reputation grows. We don't have the details again of this new campaign with the Philistines. It's initiated by the Philistines, but we don't have any of the details. We just know that David went out to fight, which as a commander in Saul's army, that's what you do. And that David behaved himself even more wisely. So he grew in more stature and in more favor with the people. So that his name was much set by. The word there means precious and well-respected. David was just loved more and more and more by those that he led and, and those that he served. David, who had not sought for fame, becomes famous now. David, who hadn't sought for position or power, becomes one of the most influential people in all of Israel. And this increasing popularity pushes Saul over the line from attempting to kill David secretly to bringing his murderous heart right out into the open in chapter 19, verse 1. It says, And Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all of his servants that they should kill David. That's uh, probably not the best translation. It's not a kill order. It, It literally just means that David needs to be killed. He's not telling them to kill David. He's just sharing his heart that David must be killed. There is no pretending it's the demon anymore, the the tormenting thing that's making him try to stab David. There's no more trickery or manipulation trying to get David killed by sending him into dangerous situations in battle. This is just all out. David needs to die, and he confides in his closest servants and his own son. Now, one of the themes we're going to see in this chapter is that it revolves around an important question. The question is, is loyalty to family, the most important loyalty a person can have? Now, many cultures would answer yes to that question. But the Bible gives numerous examples of those who live otherwise, those who honor the Lord and don't have that priority. There are those who put doing the right thing, in other words, loyalty to the Lord as the highest loyalty, even if it means going against your family. That Saul brings Jonathan into his plans shows that Saul believed family loyalty was the most important thing because he knows Jonathan and David are close. He knows that they are very close, but he believes that Jonathan will pick him over anyone and anything else. And Saul is gravely mistaken because verse 2 says that Jonathan, Saul's son, because he delighted much in David, because he had an affection, this deep friendship with David... It says that he told David, the word there means to warn or inform on. He informed on his father so he could warn David saying, Saul, my father seeks to kill you. Now, Jonathan made a covenant with David and he was not going to do wrong by going back on that commitment to David for anyone. He wouldn't do it for his father and he wouldn't do it for his king. Not Certainly not when David's done nothing wrong. And so Jonathan has a plan. He says, now therefore I pray you, take heed to yourself until the morning. In other words, don't just come hanging out in your normal places. He says, you need to abide in a secret place and hide yourself all night. Verse three, says, this is, I have a plan. Jonathan has a specific place in mind that David needs to hide because he's gonna try to change his father's mind in the morning. He says, I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna stand beside my father in the field where you are. So Jonathan has a specific place he, he thinks David needs to hide. And he says, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to talk to my dad so you you can see us talking. And then I'm going to tell you, I will commune with my father about you. I'm going to talk to him about you. And what I see, what what happens in that conversation, I will let you know. And that's going to determine whether you need to skedaddle or whether everything's going to be okay. And so David does this. Verse 4. And Jonathan spoke good of David unto his father and said unto him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you. And because his works have been to you, you were very good. Jonathan here confronts the evil of his father's plan. He tells him, he says, let not the king sin against his servant. While Jonathan had a deep friendship with David, this was his main concern and the main reason why he would not support his father. What his father was planning to do was wrong. It was wrong. And no loyalty should ever be higher than the Lord. No friendship should ever compete with the Lord. And no Christian should ever ask a family member or friend to choose them over the Lord. Never. There are many, many cultural ideas in our world that go against the priority system set up by the Lord. Some cultures will place family higher than everything, and they will encourage disobedience to the Lord because family comes first. Some cultures will place loyalty to one's country as the highest calling, and they will encourage disobedience to the Lord because nation or ethnic group comes first. These are obviously and clearly wrong. But there are lesser violations of this principle that are far more common. Some cultures say your commitment to your parents should come above commitment to your spouse. This is a frequent thing that occurs in counseling for us when we're trying to minister to married couples. Some say that your commitment to your work should come above your commitment to your family. Some say commitment to one's children should come above your spouse. That is a very common one even within the church. But all of those ideas disobey the Lord's commands. As a Christian, you must not give in to them. These are cultural ideas, not biblical ideas. And to give in to them means you become partaker of other people's sins. Now, when someone asks you to do something wrong, to choose them instead of choosing what's right, it doesn't need to mean you need to pull out your sword and challenge them to a duel. You know What? I can't believe you'd ask me to do that. Jonathan reasons with his father here, and he does it by pointing out two things. The evil of killing David, and then secondly, the good reasons why he should treat David correctly. First off, he points out the evil. He says two things are evil about your plan, Dad. First, he says that because David's your servant, and secondly, he says because he's done nothing wrong to you. He's only done you good. David was Saul's servant. When you have a servant, it means you're in the position of authority. You're in the position of power. And it is evil to abuse that position of power. Those with power are supposed to protect those under their care, not harm Harm them. them. They're supposed to serve those in their care not use them. And then also what was wrong is that David had done him no wrong. Saul was assuming or acting upon an assumption of motive. And it is evil, it is an evil act to act on assumption of motive. David did nothing wrong to Saul. There was no reason that Saul should act the way he's acting. Saul should have believed the best about David, not the worse. Now, Having listed out the evil of killing David, Jonathan now moves on to show the good reasons why Saul should treat David well. In verse 5, he explains, His works towards you have been good. How? For he did put his life in his hand, and he slew the Philistine, and the Lord wrought a great salvation for all of Israel. He says, Dad, David risked his life to take on Goliath when no one else in Israel would. He is loyal to you. Isn't that a good thing? Isn't that something that should be celebrated? Isn't that something that should be honored? And secondly, God used what David has done. God used David to do great things, to rescue our nation. Isn't that a good thing, Dad? Isn't that something that should be treated well? I absolutely love Jonathan the person He is someone I want to meet when I get to heaven. Jonathan doesn't hold back confronting his father's evil, but he does so in a reasonable way. Because you see, his goal isn't to win an argument. It's to win over his father. That's his goal. It's not to win the argument. I've won lots of arguments and still lost. His goal is to win over his father to righteousness. Jonathan is a great example about how to live in the midst of challenging circumstances. A great example. He loves his father. He remains loyal to his father. He wants what's best for his father. But Jonathan never shies away from speaking truth to his father's sins. Never. Remember the last time his dad messed up and Jonathan's out and the armies, they're all exhausted because he makes everybody swear an oath and a promise that they're not to eat anything until the Philistines have all been slain. You know, everybody's like, uh, uh, wish we could eat, you know. And Jonathan doesn't; he wasn't there for that. And so he sees honey. God provides honey on the ground for sustenance, and you know Jonathan's hoofing it, and he dips his staff in, and he's licking it while he's running and stuff. He's getting some sustenance, and somebody sees him chewing on the end of his staff, and he's like, "What are you doing, man? Your dad made us all promise, you know, we couldn't do this." And Jonathan goes, "I didn't promise that. That's a dumb promise." He says, "My father has caused great evil in Israel today with this unwise oath." He has no problem calling out his father's sins. But again, he loves his father. His desire is to win him over. And what's cool is, as he closes out his argument here in verse 5, he says to him, You saw it, Dad. You saw it, and you rejoiced. So why then will you sin against innocent blood to slay David without a cause? You approved of all those things. You didn't have a problem with what David did back then, Dad. And so, why would you go back on all that now? Since David has done nothing wrong, but only good, putting him to death, will put you in the wrong, Dad. And somehow, (laughs) his words end up being enough to break through Saul's jealous rage. And so Saul, verse 6, says, hearken unto the voice of Jonathan. And Saul swear, as the Lord lives, he shall not be slain. And so Jonathan called David, and David showed him all these things. He said, this is what my dad head." He made a promise. He promised as the Lord lives. He swore an oath to God that he will not kill you. And so Jonathan brought David back to Saul. And he was in his presence as in times past. Everything seems fine. Now, when you say, as the Lord lives, that is one of the strongest oaths you can make. Because what you're basically saying, those aren't just words, they have meaning. The idea is, you can count on what I'm about to promise as much as you can count on the fact that the Lord is real. That's what he's saying. You can count on what I'm promising to you as much as you can count on the fact that God is real, that he is not dead, and that he always will be alive. As the Lord lives... This is my solemn oath. This is my promise. So this is a big deal. Now, I believe with all my heart that Saul meant what he said when he said it. Why? Why would you say that, Pastor Will? Because making an oath like this isn't something someone does lightly. And because Saul has numerous moments like this where he recognizes, where he confesses that he's in the wrong and then he turns away from an evil course of action temporarily. Remember when David finds Saul in the cave and the men are like, God has delivered him into your hand. Kill him, man. And then we can be done from running from this fool. And David goes in to do it. And he gets convicted just by cutting the hem of Saul's garment. And he comes back to his men and he goes, I, I cannot do this sin. It is not my job to kill him. It is the Lord's job to deal with him. And so when Saul comes out of the cave, David actually, I mean, David puts himself in a place where he's a dead man if Saul turns on him. And he comes out and he shows him the hem of the garment. He says, oh, king, I could have killed you, but I didn't because I'm, there's nothing I've done wrong. I don't have anything against you. I don't want your kingdom. I'm loyal to you. Saul cries, that's one of the weirdest things. He goes, is that the voice of David, my son? He's his son-in-law, Remember? They were close at one point in time. Is that the voice of David, my son? It is, King. David, I've done wrong. He confesses his sin, and he picks up the whole army, and they leave. Now, he's back on David's trail again a few months later. But the idea is, this is a a common thing for Saul. I think he meant it when he said it. But it never lasts. And the reason it never lasts is because confession of sin is not the same thing as repentance from sin. It's just not. Confession acknowledges my wrong. The word confession, it means to say the same thing, homologio, to say the same thing. In other words, God, you say this about my behavior, and I'm going to agree with you. It's bad. That's confession. But repentance is a commitment to do what's right, to turn around. And so, despite his oath here, to never slay David. And despite a small respite for David, it doesn't last. And so in verse 8, it tells us, and there was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and slew them with a great slaughter, and they fled from him. And the evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul as he sat in his house with his javelin in his hand. And so David played with his hand, played the harp. Saul sought to smite David, even to the wall with the javelin, but he slipped out of Saul's presence, and so he smote the javelin into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night. Now, things seem to be fine for a while. David's, you know, d- taking his normal slot in the kingdom. He's there before Saul, and there's no issues. But David is an integral part of another victory over the Philistines. And so this sets Saul in a rage again. And so, what should have been a cause for great celebration, Saul is brooding instead of celebrating. And so as this evil spirit from the Lord is upon Saul again, because even though Saul changed his mind about David, he didn't even swore a serious oath. He never repented of his sin. So his heart remains full of this rebellion against God and this jealousy toward David and this fear of David. And the truth is, no oath, No oath, no promise, no no raising your hand or coming forward is strong enough to counter a life where my flesh is in charge like that. In Romans chapter 7, verse 18, Paul describes the challenge that we face if we're going to try to do this on our own, in our own way. He says, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I cannot find it. What is Paul saying there? He says, I may have the desire to do what's right, but I don't have the resources to put it into place. You may have the greatest plan in the world for a home, but if you don't have a penny to put to it, you're not building it. And what Paul is explaining here is the best of intentions may be there in my heart and in my mind, but on my own, left to myself, this flesh brings no resources that I can pull from to live it out. And so in contrast to a life where the flesh is in charge it has no resources to accomplish anything that's good. The life of the spirit I can do those things. In Romans 8 verse 8 Paul goes on to say so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. In Romans 8:12 he says therefore brethren we are not debtors to the flesh to live after the flesh because if you live after the flesh you will die. There is no way that if I'm going to rely on my own resources and my own way of doing things that I can even act out the best of motives and the best of promises. And so instead of being able to follow through with his oath, this instability in Saul's heart translated to unstable behavior. The Bible calls this being double-minded. Saul doesn't want to do evil, but he also doesn't want to submit to the Lord. And I hope I don't have to tell you that that doesn't work. It doesn't work. I've tried that on many occasions. If I want to do what's right, but I don't want to submit to the Lord, I'm not going to be able to move forward. There are many occasions where I'm like, okay, Lord, oh, Lord, I want, to do what, I, want to, I want to follow you. I want to do what's right. And the Lord's like, okay, go make things right with so-and-so. Oh, no, Lord, no, 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 that's not what I mean. You know, like, like I want to do right what's here. Over here, you know, we'll talk about that later. And the Lord's like, no. We're going to talk about it now because I can't allow that to just exist in your heart undealt with. Well, Lord, I don't want to deal with that. I'm going to harden my heart. Well, then what happens when you do that is you grieve the Holy Spirit and, and your flesh is in control. It's on top. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. If we do that, we begin to wilt. We begin to, to wither. We begin to, to die in a sense. James chapter 1, verse 8, it talks about a double-minded man being unstable in all of his ways. It says in James 1, 8, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. What does that word unstable mean? It means restless, unsettled, disorderly, unrestrained. When I'm double-minded like this, I don't have the same restrainers that I would normally have. I'm unsettled. I'm restless in my heart. I'm disorderly. Saul's life, his entire life, will be a roller coaster because his heart's out of control. And that comes from being double-minded. Now, there is only one solution to being double-minded. And James gives it later on in the book of James. In James chapter 4, verse 6, it says, but he gives more grace. He says, where do all your arguments and fighting and boring and murder, where does it all come from? He goes, because you want something and you're not getting it. And so you're going to find a way to get it. He says, that's not good. That's the way the world lives. Don't you realize, I love James. He's speaking to people who are being persecuted, people who are losing their lives for Jesus. And he's like, you adulterers and adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? You're like, James, settle down, buddy. These people are struggling. But James knew that if they took the world's mindset, if they were going to respond to this persecution, if they were going to do it and and say, well, we're going to fight fire with fire. This is the only way we can survive. This is the only way we can do it. He's like, that doesn't work. Can't fight Satan with Satan. Don't you know that that the spirit of God who lives within you, he's jealous. He wants you to do it his way. And he's never just going to go, ah, fine. Just go be like the world. So it doesn't work. What you need is more grace. How I need more grace. How I need more grace. I need more of God's help, more of God's work in my life. I need supernatural help. And so he tells us, well, how do you get more grace? He says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace unto the humble. Don't you believe that if Saul came to the Lord and he said, Lord, I'm scared. You're not with me anymore and and I've made all these dumb mistakes and I don't think there's any way I can fix it and and, and I'm scared if I obey you that it's all going to fall apart. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it, but I know I need your help. Don't you think that if Saul came to the Lord like that, that God would have given him more grace? God is not up there expecting that you just get everything right and you do it perfect. He knows our frame that we're simply dust. But he says, you got to humble yourself. If you're going to just stubbornly look at what I'm saying and say, no, that'll never work. And you just keep plowing ahead on your way of doing things. He's like, I can't work with that. You are hardening your heart towards me. You're being stubborn towards me. You're being prideful and arrogant. I can't give grace in that instance because you'll just barrel down that road more. But if you humble yourself and you go, Lord, this is a mess. I'm scared and I do everything wrong. And Lord, I I think if I just trust you, I'm just done for. God is sympathetic with that. His heart, it breaks for us when we cry out to him like that. These are visible outward signs of a heart that's broken and shattered because of my own sin. Repent. And you don't have to be afraid. He shall lift you up.